Castle, episode number 62, for July 21st, 2009. The Fiddler of Bayou Teche by Delia Sherman. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Ann Leckie. There's something about music, not just music, but stringed instruments. Orpheus's lyre was given to him by Apollo. Your elementary school teachers won't tell you why. And the lyre was invented by a god to begin with. When Orpheus played it, trees would uproot themselves and dance. And when a troop of Thracian women attacked him, the stones they threw refused to injure him. His music was so beautiful. In the end, they had to tear him apart with their bare hands and throw him in the river, but his lyre kept playing and his head kept singing as it floated downstream. According to one Hindu tradition, the demon king Ravan made the first Ravanahatha a bowed stringed instrument out of his arm, his hair, and one of his ten heads. He played so beautifully that Shiva gave him the divine sword Chandrahas. Shiva himself plays the veena, as does the goddess Sarasvati. In the West, harps are still considered a heavenly instrument. Of course, strings can also be diabolical. The great violinist Niccolò Paganini was rumored to play so beautifully because he'd made a deal with the devil, and after he died, he was refused burial on consecrated ground because of it. And of course, Robert Johnson reputedly traded his soul for the ability to play guitar. I sometimes wonder if the preponderance of violins and guitars in musical deal with the devil stories doesn't come from old religious ideas about music and about particular instruments. Then again, maybe I'm just not familiar with the extensive literature of, say, supernatural clarinet stories. Today's story is The Fiddler of Bayou Teche by Delia Sherman. She was born in Tokyo and grew up in New York. She was nominated for the Campbell Award for Best New SF Writer. Her second novel, The Porcelain Dove, won the Mytha Poic Award in 1994. She's judged the Crawford Award for Best First Fantasy Novel, the James Tiptree Jr. Award for Fantastic Fiction, and the World Fantasy Award, and has served on the motherboard of the James Tiptree Jr. Award and is a founding member and past officer of the Interstitial Arts Foundation. She lives with fellow author and fantasist Ellen Kushner in a rambling apartment on the Upper West Side of New York City. The story is read by Elizabeth Green Musselman. She's a history professor at Southwestern University, a small liberal arts college in the Austin, Texas area. She's written a book called Nervous Conditions, which is about scientists in the 19th century and their nervous disorders, proving once again that truth is at least as strange as fiction. The Fiddler of Bayou Teche by Delia Sherman Come here, Cher, and I'll tell you a story. One time, there is a girl lives out in the swamp. Her skin and hair are white like the feathers of a white egret, and her eyes are pink like a possum's nose. When she is a baby, the Lugaru find her floating on the bayou in an old pirogue and take her to Tantulele. Tantulele does not howl and grow hair on her body when the moon is full like the Lugaru. But she hides in the swamp, same as they do, and they are all friends together. She takes Picon out of the Lugaru's feet, and bullets out of their hairy shoulders, and doses their rheumatism and their mange. In return, the Lugaru build her a cabin out of cypress and palmetto leaves, and bring her rice and indigo dye from town. 
on moonlit nights, she plays her fiddle at the Lugaru's ball. The Lugaru love Tantulele, but the girl loves her most of all. Yes, the girl is me. Who else round here has white skin and hair and pink eyes, eh? Hush now and listen. Tant Eulalie was like my mother. She named me Cadence and told me stories. All the stories I tell you, Cher. When we sit spinning or weaving, she tell me about when she was a young girl, living with her pap and her good maman and her six brothers and three sisters near the little town of Pierreville. She tell me about her cousin Belda Guidry, the prettiest girl in the parish. Now, when Belda is fifteen, there are twenty young men all crazy to marry her. She can't make up her mind, her. So her old pap make a test for the young man to see which will make the best son-in-law. He make them plow the swamp and sow it with dried chilies and bring them to harvest. And when they done that, they have to catch the oldest, meanest gator in Bayou Tesh and make a gumbo out of him. I thought Taunt Eulaly was making it all up out of her head, but she swore it was true. It was Ganelon Fusilier who won Belda, and Taunt Eulaly was godmother to their second child, Denise. Ganey cheated, of course. Nobody can pass a test like that without cheating some. Seemed to me like cheating was a way of life in Pierreville. The wonder was how the folks that were getting cheated never learned to be less trustful. I thought, if I ever went to Pierreville and Ganey Fusilier, old Savoie, tell me the sky is blue, I'd go outside and check. And if murderess Petpa came knocking at my door, I'd slip out the back. Taunt Eulalie's best stories were about young murderess Pettipa, who was like the grasshopper because he'd always rather fiddle than work, though Dress was too smart to get caught out in the cold. How smart was he? Well, I'll tell you the story of Dress and the fiddle, and you can judge for yourself. Once there's this old man, see, called Old Boudreaux. He has a fiddle, and this fiddle is the sweetest fiddle anybody ever hear. His old pap make it himself back in 18-something, and when old Boudreaux play, the dead get up and dance. Now, young Dress thinks it's a shame that the best fiddler in St. Mary's Parish, that is, young Dress himself, shouldn't have the best fiddle, that is, old Boudreaux's pap's fiddle. So, young Dress goes to old Boudreaux and he says... Old Boudreau, I'm afraid for your soul. Old Boudreau says, What you talking about, boy? Young Dress says, Last night when you were playing Jolie Blonde, I see a little red devil creep out of the F-holes and commence to dancing on your fingerboard. The faster he danced, the faster you play, and he laughed like mad and waved his forked tail, so I was scared half to death. Go to bed, dress Pettipa, says old Boudreaux. I don't believe that for a minute. It's as true as I'm standing here, says young dress. I got the second sight, me, so I sees things other people don't. Hmm, said old Boudreaux, and starts back in the house. Wait, says young dress. You bring your fiddle here, and I go prove it to you. 
Of course, old Boudreaux says no, but young Dress got away with him, and everybody know old Boudreaux ain't got no more sense than a possum. So old Boudreaux fetches his fiddle and goes to hand it to young Dress. But young Dress is wringing his bandana and moaning. Mother Mary, preserve me, he says. Can't you see its red eyes twinkling in the F-holes? Can't you smell the sulfur? You gotta exercise that devil, old Boudreaux. You go fiddle yourself right down to hell. Old Boudreaux nearly dropped his fiddle, he's so scared. He don't dare look in the F-holes, but he don't have to, because as soon as young dress named that devil, there's a terrible stink of sulfur everywhere. Holy mother, save me, old Boudreaux cried. My fiddle is possessed. What am I going to do, dress pettypaw? I don't want to fiddle myself down to hell. Well, I go tell you, old Boudreaux, but you ain't going to like it. I'll like it, I promise. Just tell me what to do. You give the fiddle to me, and I exercise that devil for you. Old Boudreaux so scared, he hand his pap's fiddle right over to young dress. What's more? He tell him to keep it, because old Boudreaux never go touch it again without thinking he smells sulfur. And that's how Dress Pettypaw get the sweetest fiddle in the parish, for nothing more than the cost of the bandana he crushed the rotten egg in that make old Boudreaux believe his fiddle is haunted. Yes, that young dress made me laugh, him. But Tante Eulalie shook her head and said, You go ahead and laugh, Tishu. Just remember that people like Dress Pettypaw are better to hear about than have dealings with, eh? You ever meet a bonillon like that, all smiling and full of big talk? You run as fast and as far as you can go. That was Taunt you, Laylee, always looking out for me, teaching me what I need to know to live in the world. By the time I could walk, I knew to keep out of the sun and stay away from traps and logs with eyes. When I got older, Taunt Eulalie taught me to spin cotton and weave cloth and dye it blue with indigo. She taught me how to make medicine from pepper grass and elderberry bark and prickly pear leaves and some little magic grigri for dirty wounds and warts and aching joints. Best of all, she taught me how to dance. Taunt Eulalie loved to play the fiddle, and she played most nights after supper was cleared away. The music she played was bouncing music, swaying music, twirl around until you fall music. And when I was very little, that's what I did. Then Tante Eulalie took me to the Lugaru's ball, where I learned the two-step and the waltz. I took to dancing like a mallet open water. Once I learned the steps, I danced all the time. I danced with a Lugaru and I danced by myself. I danced when I swept and I danced when I cooked. I danced to Taunt Eulalie's fiddling, and I danced to the fiddling of the crickets. Taunt Eulalie laughed at me, said I'd wear myself out, but I didn't. Then came a winter when the leaves were blasted with cold, and I skimmed the surface of the bayou. Long about Advent time, Taunt Eulalie caught a cough. I made her prickly pear leaf syrup and willow bark tea for the fever, and hung a grigri for strength around her neck, but it didn't do no good. At the dark of the year, she asked me to bring her the cypress wood box from under her bed. I opened it for her, and she pulled out three pieces of lace and a gold ring and put them in my hand. These are all I have to leave you, she said. These are my fiddle. I hope you find good use for them some day. Not long after, 
the bon Dieu called her as she went to him. Her friends, the Lugaru, buried her under the big live oak behind the cabin and howled her funeral mass. I was sixteen years old now, more or less, and that was the end of my girlhood. That was the end of my dancing, too, for a time. When I saw Tante Eulalie's fiddle lying silent across her cane-bottomed chair, I fell into sadness like a deep river. I lay in a nest of nutria skins next the fire, and I watched the flames burn low and thought how nobody would know or notice if I lived or died. Some time passes, I don't know how much, and then somebody knocks at the door. I don't answer, but he comes in anyway. It's Ulysse, the youngest of the Lugaru. I like Ulysse. He is quiet and skinny, and he brings me peanut butter and white bread and a printed paper wrapper. And when we dance at the Lugaru's ball, everybody stops and watches us. Still, I wish he would go away. Ulysse sniffs around a little, then digs me out of my nest and gives me a shake. You in a bad way, Cher, he says. If Tante Eulalie see how you carry on, she pass you one big slap for sure. Good, I say. I like that fine. At least she be here to slap me. Not much Ulysse can say to that, I think. And maybe he will go away now and let me be sad by myself. But he has another idea, him. He sniffs around again and starts to clucking like an old hen. This place worse than a hog pen, he says. Don't you Lely see the state her cabin is in? She'd die all over again. He picks her fiddle and bow up off her chair. Where's she keep these at? See Ulysse holding Tante Eulalie's fiddle give me the first real feeling I have since it seems like forever. I get mad, me. So mad I go right up to Ulysse, who is bigger than me by a head, who has wild, dark hair and long teeth and sharp nails, even when the moon is dark, and I hit him in the stomach. Tion, cher, what is this? Why you hit your friend, Ulysse? Why? Because you touched Tante Eulalie's fiddle. Put it down, you, or I'll make you. Put it up, then, he says, instead of curling up like a crawfish in winter. I take the fiddle like it was an egg and hang it on its hook over Tante Eulalie's bed. And then I start to cry, with Ulysse holding my shoulders and licking my hair like a wolf licks her cub, till I'm calm again. After that, I clean the cabin and make myself a gumbo. I string Tante Eulalie's big loom with thread she spun and dyed, and I weave a length of pale blue cloth. The water rises to the edge of the porch, and the nights get shorter. I set lines to catch fish and make my garden with the seeds Tante Eulalie saved. The Lugaru still knock on my door, and I treat them for mange and rheumatism and broken bones as Tante Eulalie always did. But I don't dance at their balls. I take my pirogue out at sunset and paddle between the big cypress trees, and listen to the frogs sing of love, and the roaring of the gators as they fight for their mates. One night, paddling far from home, I see lights that are not the pale foufolet that dance in the swamp at night. They are yellow lights, lantern lights, and they tell me I have come to a farm. I am a little afraid, for Tante Eulalie used to warn me about letting people see me. You know how ducks carry on when a strange bird land in their water, she says. The good people of Pierreville, they see that white hair and those pink eyes, and they peck at you till there's nothing left but two, three white feathers. I do not want to be pecked, me, so I start to paddle away. 
and then I hear the music. I turn back with the sweep of my paddle and drift clear. I see a wharf and a cabin and an outhouse and a hog pen and a big barn built on high ground away from the water. The barn doors are open, and they spill yellow light out over a pack of buggies and horses and even cars. Only cars I've seen outside the magazines you list sometimes bring. I don't care about the cars, though, for I am caught by the fiddle music that spills out brighter than the lantern light, brighter than anything in the world since Taunt you lately left it. I paddle toward the music like a moth to a lit candle, not caring that fire burns and ducks peck and the people of Pierreville don't like strangers. But I am not stupid like old Boudreaux. I am careful to hide my pirogue behind a button bush, and I don't come out in the open. I stalk the music like a bobcat, softly, softly, and I find a place behind the barn where I think nobody will come. And then I dance. I dance the two-step with my brown striped shawl, tears wet on my face because Taunt Eulalie is dead, because I am dancing alone in the dark, because the fiddle is crying, and I cannot help but cry, too. The moon rises. The crickets go to bed. The fiddler plays, and I dance as if the dawn will never come. I guess I keep dancing when the music stops, because next thing I know, there's a shout behind me. When I open my eyes, the sky is pale and gray, and there's a knot of men behind the barn with their mouths gaping like black holes in their faces. One of them steps forward. He is tall, broad-shouldered, and thick, and he wears a wide-brimmed hat pulled down low over his eyes, glittering in its shadow like the eyes of a snake in a hole. I throw my shawl around my shoulders and turn to run. As soon as I move, all the men gasp and step back. I think that a little fear makes ducks mean, but a lot of fear makes them run. I give a hoot like a swamp owl, hold my shawl out like wings, and scoot low and fast into the cypress grove. Behind me there is shouting and lights and bobbing here and there like lightning bugs. I creep to my pirogue and paddle away, quiet as a water snake, keeping to the shadows. I am very pleased with myself, me. I think the men of Pierreville are a stupid old Boudreaux to be frightened by a small girl in a striped shawl. Maybe soon I will go and hear the music again. Next night, Ulysses comes knocking at my door. He sits down at the table, and I give him coffee, and then I go to my wheel and set it spinning. I hear tell of a thing, says Ulysses over the whir of the wheel. It make me think. I smile a little. Think, I say, that is a piece of news. You tell your friends, old Placide, he'd be surprised. Ulysses shakes his head. This is serious, Cadence. Up and down the bayou, everybody's talking about the haunt that bust up the Doucette Fédodo. I look down at the pale brown thread running through my fingers, fine and even as taunt Ulysses. There weren't no haunts of the Doucette Fédodo, Ulysses. I know that. The Doucettes say different. They say they see a girl turn into a swamp owl and fly away. What do you say to that, Hyon? I say they drink too much beer, them. He brings his heavy black eyebrows together. Why you go forget everything taunt you lately tell you, Cadence, and make a nine days wonder with your foolishness? 
Don't scold, Ulysse. The people of Pierreville for sure got more important things to talk about than me. Maybe so, maybe not, Ulysse says darkly. What you doing at the Doucettes? Dancing, I say, still teasing. Who's the fiddler, Ulysse? He play mighty fine. Ulysse is not, still not smiling. He is a bon rion, Cadence, a bad man. Shake hands with murderess Petty Paw, you go count your fingers after. I almost let the wheels stop, I'm so surprised. You go to bed, Ulysse. Taunt you lately make dress Petty Paw up out of her head. He's real, all right. Everybody say he sell his soul to the devil so he can play better than any human man. Then he fiddle the devil out of hell and keep him dancing all night long until his hooves split in two, and the devil give Dress his soul back so he can stop dancing. Dress Pettypaw is the big bull on the hill, and mean, mean. You stay away from him, you. I may be like Ulysse, but I don't like him telling me what to do. Ulysse, who eats rabbits raw and howls at the moon when it's full. I pinch the thread too tight, and it breaks in two. Eh, cadence, he says. You gonna hit me again? Ain't gonna change what I say, but go ahead if it makes you feel better. I don't hit him, but I am maybe not very kind to him, and he leaves looking like a beaten dog. I hear howling later that I think is Ulysse, and I'm a little sorry, but not too much. Still, I do not go out again to dance. Not because Ulysse tell me, but because... I am not a couillon like old Boudreaux. Two, maybe three nights after, I hear a thump against my porch and the sounds of somebody tying up a pirogue and climbing out. Not Ulysse. Somebody heavier. Old Placide, maybe. I am already up and looking for my jar of fly blister for his rheumatism when there's a knock on the door. I open it. I do not see old Placide. I see a big man with a belly like a barrel a big-brimmed hat, and a heavy black mustache. I try to shut the door, but Dress Pettipaw shoves it back easy and walks past me like he was at home. Then he sits down at my table with his hat pulled down to his snake-bright eyes and his hands spread on his thighs. Hey there, Cher, he says, and smiles real friendly. His teeth are yellow and flat. I stand by the door, thinking whether I will run away or not. Running away is maybe safer, but then Dress Pettipaw is alone in my cabin, and I don't want that. He eyes me like he knows just what I'm thinking. I go tell you a story. You stand by the door if you want, but I think you'd be more comfortable sitting down. I hate to do anything he say, but I hate worse looking foolish. I close the door and sit by the fire with my hands on my lap. I do not give him coffee. Well, he says, this is the way it is. I am a good fiddler, me. Maybe the best fiddler on the bayous. Maybe the best fiddler in the world. Ain't nobody in St. Mary's Parish dance or court or marry or christen a baby without me. But St. Mary's Parish is a small place, eh? I'm too big for St. Mary's. I have an idea to go to New Orleans, fiddle on the radio, make my fortune, by a white house with columns on the front. He lifts his hands, his fingers square at the tips, his nails trimmed short and black with dirt, and he laughs. It is not a good laugh. 
You maybe don't know, little Swamp Owl girl. These hands are like gold. I fiddled the devil out of hell once, and I fiddle him down again. I will make those Cuyon in New Orleans lie down and lick my bare feet. He glances at me for a reaction, but I just sit there. Taunt you, Lele is right. Close to dress Pettipaw is not funny at all. He wants what he wants, and he doesn't care what he has to do to get it. He can't trick me because I know what he is. What he go do, I wonder, when he finds that out. As if he fears my thoughts, dress Pettipaw frowns. He looks round the cabin, and his eyes light on Taunt Eulalie's fiddle I've hung on the wall. He gets up and goes to it, takes it down from its hook, and runs his thumb over the strings. They twang dully. Good thing you loosen the strings, he says. Keep the neck from warping, eh? Nice little fiddle you play. I don't remember getting up, but I am standing with my hands twisted in my skirts. No, I say as lightly as I can. Stupid old thing, I don't know why I don't throw it into the bayou. You won't mind if I tune her, then. He brings the fiddle to the table and starts to tighten the strings. I sit down again. One day, he says, picking up the story. One day, my five sons, Clofa and Aristille and Tipal and Louis and Telemach, come to me. Clofa is in love, him, and he wants my blessing to marry Marie Amar. Now, I got nothing against marriage. My wife Octavia and me been married together twenty-two years, still in love like two doves. My sons are good boys, smart boys. Clofa can read anything you put in front of him, write and print, and it don't matter. And young Louis adds up numbers fast as I can play my fiddle, but they got no sense about women. So I tell Clofa that I will choose a wife for him if he wants one. And when the time comes, I'll choose wives for the other boys, too. Wives are too important a matter to be left to young men. My foot, Clofa says, I go marry Marie without your blessing, then. You go do more than that, I tell him. You go marry with my curse. Remember, I got the devil on a string. My curse is something to fear. And you see if Marie Amar go marry together with you when she find out you don't bring her so much as a stick of furniture or a woven blanket or a chicken to start life with. Well, you think that'd be the end of it, but my sons are hard-headed boys. They argue this way and that, and then I have an idea, me, how I can shut their mouths for once and all. I offer my sons a bet. He stops and holds the fiddle up to his ear, and he plucks the strings in turn, listening intently. Better, he says. He lays the fiddle on the table, pulls a lump of rosin from his pocket, and goes to work on the bow. The bet, he says, is this. I will fiddle and my sons will dance. If I stop fiddling before they all stop dancing, I go bless their marriages and play at their weddings. If not, Clofa and Louis come to New Orleans with me to read anything that needs to be read, and our steel teapaw and telemach go tend the shrimp boats and help Octavia with the hogs and the chickens and the cotton. Dress Pettipaw grins under his mustache. It is a good bet I make, eh? I cannot lose. My sons go off behind the hog pen and talk for a while, and when they come back they tell me that they will take my bet on two conditions. One, they will dance one after another, so I must fiddle out five in a row. Two, I will provide a partner for them, one partner who must dance as long as I fiddle. 
Now, I am proud of my five sons because this shows they are smart as well as strong. They know I can play the sun up and down the sky. They know I can play until the cows come home and long after the chickens come to roost. They know nobody human can dance as long as I can play. He looks away from the bow and straight at me. They don't know you. I turn my head away. I don't know how long I can dance. All night, for sure, then paddle home after and dance in the cabin while I do my chores. Maybe the next night, too. I might could do what I guess Dress Pettipaw wants. But I won't. I won't show my face to the people of Pierreville, my white face and pink eyes and white, white hair. I won't go among the ducks and risk their pecking, not for anybody, and for sure not for Dress Pettipaw. I see you at the Doucette Fado Doe, he says. I see you dance like a leaf in the wind, like no human girl I ever seen. I go to a man I know, a hairy, sharp-toothed man, and he tell me about a little swamp owl girl dances all night long at the Lugaru's ball. I think this girl go make a good partner for my boys. What you say, Hyon? You come dance with my five strong sons? My heart is sick inside me, but I can't be angry at the Lugaru who betrayed me. Dress Pettipaw is a hard man to say no to. But I do. I say no. I don't ask you to dance for nothing, Dress Pettipaw coaxes me. I go give you land to raise cotton on and a mule to plow with. No. You greedy girl, you, he says, like it's a compliment. How you like to marry one of my sons, then? Anyone you like. Then you be important, lady, no matter dare call you Swamp Owl Girl or Little White Slug. I jump up and go for him, so angry the blood burns like ice in my veins. I stop when I see he's holding Taunt Eulalie's fiddle over his head by the neck. Listen, Cher, you don't help me, I take this fiddle and make kindling out of it, and I break that loom and that wheel, and then I burn this cabin to ash. What do you say, Cher? Yes or no? Say yes now, and we have a bargain. You help me win my bet, and I give you land and a mule and a husband to keep you warm. That is not so bad a bargain, Hyun. It sticks in my throat, but I have no choice. Yes, I say. That's good, murderous Pettipaw says, and he tucks Yaunt Eulalie's fiddle under his chin and draws the bow across the strings. It sounds a note, strong and sweet. The contest is set for Saturday night. That's three nights from now. We start after supper, end when the boys get tired. Make a real fado do, eh? Put the children down to sleep? He laughs with the fiddle, a skip of notes. Mike could take two, three days, you understand? I understand very well, but I can't help trying to find a way out. I do not know if I can dance for three days and nights. I say you can, and I say you will. I got your fiddle, me. I cannot dance in the sun. A discord sounds across the strings. Little white slug don't like sun, eh? No matter. We make the dance in Doucette's barn. You know where it at already. Taunt Eulalie's fiddle mocks me with one of the tunes he played that night. Despite myself, my feet begin to move, and he laughs. You were dancing fool, Cher. I win my bet. My sons learn who's boss, and I go be rich man on the radio. 
He's fiddling as he speaks and moves toward the door. I'm dancing because I can't help it, with tears of rage stinging the back of my nose and blurring my eyes. I don't let them fall till he's gone, though. I have that much pride. The rest of that night is black, black, and the next two days, too. There are knocks at my door, but I do not answer them. I am too busy thinking how I will make murderous Pettipaw sorry he mess with me. I take my piece of blue cloth off the loom and sew a dancing dress for myself, with Tontulele's lace to the neck and cuffs. Early the third morning I make a grigri with Tontulele's gold ring. I sleep and wash myself and put on the dress and braid my hair and a tail down my back and hang the grigri round my neck. Then I get in my pirogue and paddle through the maze of the swamp to the warm lights of the Doucette's farm. It is very strange to tie my pirogue to the wharf and walk up to the barn in the open. Under my feet the dirt is warm and smooth, and the air smells of flowers and spices and cooking meat. The barn doors are open, and the lantern light shines yellow on the long table set up outside, and the good people of Pierreville swarming around with plates and forks, scooping jambalaya and gumbo, dirty rice and fried okra, red beans and grits from the dishes and pots. At first they don't see me, and then they do, and all the gumbo yaya of talk stops dead. I walk toward them through a quiet like the swamp at sunset. My heart beats so hard under my blue dress that I think everybody must see it, but I keep my chin up. The people are afraid, too. I can smell it on them, see it in their flickering eyes that will not meet mine, hear it in their whispers. Haunt, devil, look at her eyes like fireballs, unnatural. A woman steps in front of me. She is wiry and faded, with a white streaked hair and stiff curls round her ears, and a flowery dress made of store-bought calico. I am Octavie Pettipaw, she says, her voice tight with fear. You come to dance with my sons. I see dress Pettipaw grinning his yellow tooth grin over her head. Yes, ma'am. Your partner's here, boys, dress Pettipaw shouts. Time to dance. The fiddler turns to five men standing in an uneven line, his five sons. The first must be Clofa, the reader, thin as his father is wide, with lines of worry across his forehead. Aristeel and T. Paul are big like their father, with trapped, angry eyes. Louis is a little older than me, with a mustache thin as winter grass. Telemach is still a boy, all knees and elbows. I walk up to Clofa and hold out my hand. He looks at it, then takes it with a sigh. His hand is cold as deep water. We all troop into the Doucette's barn, Clofa and me and Dress, and every soul from St. Mary's Parish who can find a place to stand. Dress climbs up on a trestle table, swings his fiddle to his shoulder, and starts to play Jolie Blonde. He's grinning under his black mustache and stamping with his foot. He's having a good time, if nobody else is. Clofa and I start to dance. I know right away that he will not last long. He has already lost the bet in his heart, him, already lost his Marie, who I can see watching us, her hands to her mouth and tears wetting her cheeks like a heavy rain. It is hard work dancing with Clofa. I think his father tricks him so often that he is like old Boudreaux, who doesn't know how to win. This makes Clofa heavy and slow. 
I have to set the pace, change directions, twirl under his lax arm without help or signal. He plods through five, six, seven tunes, then he stumbles and falls to his knees, shaking his head heavily, until Marie Amar comes and helps him up with a glare that would burn me black if it could. Then it is Aristille's turn. Aristille is strong, him, and he is on fire to beat me. My head barely reaches his heart, and he crushes me to him as if to smother me. Half the time I'm dancing on tiptoe, the other I'm thrown here and there by his powerful arms, my shoulders aching as he puts me through my paces like a mule. It's wrestling, not dancing. But I dance with wolves, me, and I am stronger than I look. Six songs, seven, eight, nine, and then the tunes all run together under our flying feet. I do not even notice that our steel has fallen until I find myself dancing alone. Then I blink at the sun, pouring in through the barn door, while two men carry our steel to a long bench along the wall. I see a girl in pink kneel beside him with a cup and a cloth for his red face. And then I go up to T. Paul, and the music carries us away. T. Paul's even more angry than his brother and bigger and taller. He cheats. When we spin, he loosens his grip on my waist and wrist, hoping to send me flying into the crowd. I cling to him like a crab, me, pinching his shirt, his cuff, his thick, sweaty wrist. The dance is a war between us, each song a battle, even the waltzes. I win them all, and also the war, when T. Paul trips over his own dragon feet and falls full length in the dust, barrel chest heaving, teeth bared like a mink. I feel no pity for him. I think some day T. Paul will find a way to shove his father's curse back into his throat. The music doesn't stop, so I don't either, two-stepping alone as men carry T. Paul to the bench where he, too, is comforted by a dark-haired girl. Through the barn doors I see that it is dark again outside. I have danced as Dress Pettipaw has fiddled for a night and a day. I am a little tired. I dance up to Louis and hold out my hand. Louis, who understands numbers, dances carefully, making me do all the work of turning, twisting, threading the needles he makes with his arms. From time to time he speeds up suddenly, stumbles in my way so I must skip to keep from falling, throws me off balance whenever he can. After a time his father sees what he's up to and shouts at him, and the spirit goes out of Louis like water draining out of the hole in a bucket. There is a girl to give him water and soft words when he falls too, a thin child with her hair in braids. I feel no pity for Louis either, who is sly enough to beat his father at his own game when he's older. It's light again by now, and I have danced for two nights and a day. I feel that my body is not my own, but tied by the ears to murderous Pettipaw's fiddle bow. As long as he plays, I will dance, though my feet bleed into the barn floor and my eyes sting with the dust. Dress launches into La Two-Step Petit Pas, and I dance up to Telemaque, who is still a child, and all I think when I hold out my hand is how glad I am Octavie gave her husband no more sons. Telemaque, like me, is stronger than he looks. He has watched me dance with his four brothers, and he has learned that I cannot be tripped and I cannot be flung. He gives me a sad, sweet smile, and limps as he dances, like he's a poor cripple boy I'd be ashamed to beat. I think it is a trick lower than any of Louis's, and I turn my face from him and let myself be lost in the stream of music. 
The bow of dress pettipaw lifts my feet. His fingers guide my arms. His notes swirl me up and down and round as a paddle swirls the waters of the bayou. Around me I feel something like a thunderstorm building, clouds piling uneasy with lightning, the air growing thicker and thicker until I gasp for breath, dancing in the middle of the Doucette's barn with Telemaque limp at my bleeding feet and murderous pedipod triumphant on his table and his neighbors round us growling and muttering. "'The last one down,' he crows. "'What you say now, Octavie?' Octavie Pettipaw steps out from the boiling cloud of people, and if she looked worn before, now she looks gray as death. I say you are a fine fiddler, murderous Pettipaw. There ain't a man in the whole of Louisiana, maybe even the world, could do what you done, or would want to. I am a fine fiddler, Dress says. Still, I can't win my bet without my little owl girl, eh? He waves his bow arm toward the five brothers, sitting on the bench with their gray-faced sweethearts. There they are, girl. Take your pick, you. Any one you want for your husband, and land and mule, just like I promised. Murderous Pettipaw, he keep his word, he on. I touch Taunt Eulalie's lace at my neck for luck, and the little bulge of the grigri hanging between my breasts, and I say, I do not want your land or your mule, dress Pettipaw. I do not want to marry any of your five sons. They have sweethearts of their own, them. Nice Cajun girls with black eyes and rosy cheeks who will give them nice black-eyed babies. An astonished wind of whispers blows through the crowd. I go on. I make you a bet now, murderous Pettipaw. I bet I can dance longer than you can. Dance with me, and if I win, you will give your blessing on your son's marriages and return what you stole from me. His eyes narrow under his broad-brimmed hat, and his fingers grip the neck of his fiddle. No, he says, I make no more bets, me. I have what I want. I will not dance with you. If you do not dance, murderous Pettipaw, everybody will think you are afraid of a little white-skinned, pink-eyed swamp girl with her bare feet all bloody. What you afraid of, Hyun? You who fiddle the devil out of hell and back down again. I ain't afraid, says Dress through his flat yellow teeth. I just ain't interested. You don't want to marry together with one of my sons. You go way back to the swamp. We got no further business together. Louis gets to his feet and limps up beside me. I say you do, Pap. If you win, you get my word I don't go runway first chance I see. And my word I don't go with him, says Telemach, joining him. Aristide comes up on the other side of me. And mine. And mine, says T-Paul. And you got my word not to make your life a living hell for taking my sons from me out of pure cussedness, says Octavie. Dress Pettipaw looks down on the pack of us. His face is red as fire, and his eyes glow hot as coals. I see you boys still got some learning to do. I'll take your bet, Swamp Owl Girl. You bring up a fiddler to play for us, and I'll dance the sun round again. Everybody got real quiet, and Octavie says, Dress, you know there ain't no other fiddler in St. Mary's Parish. That's it, then. I don't dance without music. The bet's off. Someone in the crowd laughs. I'd laugh myself if this was a story I was hearing about young Dress Pettipaw and how he owns all the music in St. Mary's Parish. 
Then another voice speaks out of the crowd. I will play for this dance, says my friend Ulysse. I spin around to see him in a store-bought suit, with his wild black hair all slicked down with oil, looking innocent as a puppy in a basket. I have an accordion, he says, and gives me a sharp-toothed smile, and I know just then that I love him. Another man turns up with a washboard and a spoon, and he and Ulysse jump up on the table as dressed Pettipaw climbs down. Ulysse strikes up a tune I've heard a thousand times. Tapita ti mignon, which is Ton Ulele's special tune for me. It gives my weary feet courage, and I dance up to murderous Pettipaw, and I take hold of his hand. That is when the good people of Pierreville discover that murderous Pettipaw cannot dance. He has two left feet, and he can't keep time, and he may know what a window or a Cajun cuddle or a windmill looks like from above, but he for sure doesn't know how to do them. We stumble and fumble this way and that around the floor while the storm breaks at last in a gale of laughter. I am laughing, too, in spite of the pain in my feet, like dancing on nails or needles. I don't care if he fails first or I do. I've won already, me. The good people of Pierreville have seen Dress Pettipaw for what he is. His sons will marry whoever they want, and he will not dare say a word against it. Squee-squaw goes the accordion. Thunkoosh goes the washboard, with Ulysses' hoarse voice wailing above it all, and I'm dancing like the midges above the water at dusk, with Dress stumbling after me. Somehow my feet don't hurt so much now, and my legs are light, and I enjoy myself. It is still dark outside the barn when Dress falls to his knees and bends his head. As the accordion wheezes into silence, Octavie runs to her husband and puts her arms round his shoulders. His sons are kissing their sweethearts, and everybody's talking and fetching more food and slapping Ulysse and the washboard player on the back and pretending that I don't exist. I step up to Octavia and I say, Miss Pettipaw, I'll take my fiddle now, my taunt you Lely's fiddle your husband took from me. She looks up and says, You Lely? Old you Lely Favreau that run away to the swamp? You kin to you Lely Favreau? I nod. Taunt you Lely take me in when I'm a baby, raise me like her own. Octavia stands up and waves to an ancient lady in a faded homespun dress. Tant Belda, you come here. This here's you Lely Favreau's girl she raised. What you think of that? The ancient lady brought her face, wrinkled as wet cloth, right up to my lace collar so she could squint at it better. That Lely's wedding lace, she says. I know it anywhere, me. How's she keeping, girl? She catch a cough this winter and die, I say. I sure am sorry to hear that. "'the ancient lady says. "'Lely's my cousin, godmother to my girl Denise. "'She married Hercule Favreau back in the teens sometime. "'Poor Hercule. "'He lose his shrimp boat and his nets to dress Pettipaw "'because of some couillon bet they make. "'Hercule take to drink him, beat Lely half to death. "'One morning she find him floating in the duck pond, "'dead as a gutted fish. "'Lely go away after the funeral, nobody know where.' She never have no children. She have me, I say. Can I have a fiddle back now? Someone brings me a plate of food while I wait, but I am too tired to eat. My legs shake and my feet burn and sting. 
I think maybe I should sit down, but I can't move my legs. And how will I get home before light? I feel tears rising in my eyes. And then there is an arm round my waist and a voice in my ear. Cadence, cher, Elise says. Ms. Pettipaw, bring your fiddle. Take it, you, and I carry you home to sleep. The plate disappears from my hands, and Taunt Eulalie's fiddle and bow appear in its place. Ulysse picks me up in his arms like I'm a little child, and I put my head against the tight weave of his store-bought suit and let him carry me out of the Doucette's barn. The moon's getting low, and there's a chill in the air says dawn isn't far away. Ulysse sets me in my pirogue, crawls in after, casts off, and starts to paddle. I see the Doucette's wharf get small behind us and the people of Pierreville standing there watching us go. The ancient lady that once was the prettiest girl in the parish waves her handkerchief to us as we slip among the cypress trees and the lights of the Doucette's farm disappear behind vanished moss and leaves. We do not speak as we glide through the waterways. The music echoes in my ears, accordion and washboard and fiddle all together as they play them at the Lugaru's ball. I hum a little, quietly. The sun rises, and Ulysse throws me his jacket to put over my head. When we get to my cabin, Ulysse carries me and my fiddle inside and closes the door. Not long after, we are married together, Ulysse and me, with Tante Eulalie's gold ring. We still live in the swamp, but we visit Pierreville to hear the gossip and go to a fado-do now and then. Ulysse always brings his accordion and plays if they ask him. But I keep my dancing for the Lugaru's ball and for my husband in our own cabin. We dance to the music of our voices, singing and the fiddling of our eldest daughter, Tilele. And murderous Pettipaw? Old dress Pettipaw fiddles no more, him. He says he fiddled himself dry in those two days and two nights. He won't go out into the swamp either, but sits on his front porch and sorts eggs from Octavie's chickens and tells his grandchildren big stories about what a fine fiddler he used to be. Our steel has got old Boudreaux's fiddle now, and you can hear him playing with his wife's brother and two cousins on the radio. But our steel Pettipaw ain't the only fiddler in St. Mary's Parish, not by a long shot. There's plenty of fiddlers round these days, and singers, and accordion players, and guitar players. They play Cajun and Zydeco, waltzes and two-steps, and the new jitterbugs, and they play them real fine. But there's none of them can fiddle the devil out of hell like Dress Pettipaw did one time. Episode number 54 was Jeffrey Ford's The Dreaming Wind, about a town annually transformed by a breeze of surreality. On the blog, Jennifer said, I don't know, I'm not a person who likes dreams at all, and I had to re-listen to this in order to comprehend it, and yet I can't deny that having a story that talks about the absence of something weird happening, and how the townsfolk deal with it, well, it turns out to be pretty interesting after all. I rather liked how the kids put on a show. Natasha said, Still not sure what I think of this story. And a bit later, 
I thought the writing was trying too hard at some points. It just sounded pretentious, like the author was trying and failing to be poetic. Still, I liked a lot of the imagery. I liked the story told at the end to explain the wind, and I really liked the idea of examining how the absence of regularity, even the regularity of something feared, could affect a town. I think we all know the feeling of waiting and that sense of being constantly on edge, to the point of exhaustion, was well explored. On the board, Talia said, Fantastic story. I really rather enjoyed the info at the beginning, all the colorful details. It was deliciously surreal. I enjoy the absurd, and it was spectacularly absurd. Good times. Story felt a bit like a literary acid trip. Lady Indigo disagreed. This didn't do anything for me, she wrote. I feel like it was weirdly preachy, not that I know exactly what it was preaching, but it kept building towards this weird, and they all learned a lesson place that made me lose interest. The surrealist images in the beginning were fantastic, and I would have loved more like that. Maybe just a world-building piece about the wind itself. If you've got an opinion, come on over to forum.escapeartist.info and share it with us. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnitude.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. As the old song says, Come lasses and lads, get leave of your dads, and away to the maypole high. For every he has got him a she, and the fiddler's standing by.